C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And we are joined today by, once again, an esteemed guest. Uh, Cassie, would you like to say hi and introduce yourself for our listeners so they can accustom their ears to your voice. <laughs> I'm very excited to be here. So I'm Cassie Knabel. I'm a small town holistic nutritionist. I have a podcast um, and I love to educate. That's my my big, big goal in everything that I do, no matter what angle I'm coming from. Um, I am a baby blogger, we like to call it maybe, at the Northwest Kitchen, which is my nutrition and um, lifestyle blog. And then I also have a podcast called Rebel Heart Radio that I host with my buddy Genevieve Blair, who's a professional esthetician and makeup artist. And you can tune into episodes there every Tuesday. And lastly, and certainly not least, I'm an executive director with Beauty Counter. I'm so excited to talk about this with you guys today. But basically, Beauty Counter is a mission-based B Corporation that's out of California. And we're working really hard to make safe products more accessible for everyone and really lobby to Congress to have stricter requirements for transparency in ingredients. So my my work in general is just in lifestyle and, and beauty, skincare, and I never expected to be in beauty and skincare, but here we are. And uh, my background is in holistic nutrition. So I like to do all the things. I love it. Perfect. Yes. Very busy. <laughs> Good intro. Okay. <laughs> all right. So. Well, Going into the segments, uh, Shay, do you have a millennial moment to share with the group? Um, I don't really have a millennial moment so much as I have a trend that I've noticed, which perhaps this should be a campfire topic, but my yeah, campfire topic, I had so many to choose <laughs> from. So the trend is I keep seeing on Instagram, my friends, um, some here in Portland, but it's really all over the country going to these acts throwing things yes. at parties uh Our events past uh, guests of the studios. pod kelly and avery actually went axe throwing for their six-year anniversary this week wow and i just <laughs> when i see, and i think the thing is it's like okay i understand like people like shooting archery so i kind of get it but then i'm like really axe throwing where did that come from why why do millennials love this? Is it Game of Thrones? Is that why? I mean, it, that's probably part of the resurgence. But really, honestly, that's, that's a really Portland thing. <laughs> okay. See, that's that's good to know. But that's I feel like know. I've also, like when I was home for Thanksgiving, we didn't end up doing it because you had to make a reservation for a big party and we weren't organized enough. But when I was home for Thanksgiving, a bunch of friends wanted to go. There's a place in Detroit. That's where I'm from. Um, and they wanted to go there. And there's like a couple there's like a number of places in New York and it's pretty popular. Like I haven't actually gone myself, but I've been invited a few times. So I think it's it's probably started like in the Pacific Northwest, maybe Midwest area, but it's definitely spread to most of the country. I would say at least the big cities. 
the thing. I feel like if I was like, oh, people are just doing it in Portland, I like wouldn't have thought anything of it because I'm like, yes, that's very keep Portland weird, et cetera, et cetera. But then, like I said, it's been popping up in Brooklyn and in Detroit. I and I saw like nice, my hometown went. It's like an alternative to like ping pong or like bowling, I think. It's like, yeah, a, it's with- like a thing that's easily accessible. Anyone can do it. You can drink while you're doing it. You can drink while you're doing it. Let yeah, I mean they that do. That's unsafe. So Cassie, have you? Yeah, but so is hunting. People drink when throwing. they go hunting. I have never participated. I have imbibed and watched at the same imbibed. time. <laughs> <laughs> so is this an activity that you would recommend? Is it like worth going to one of these? What do you even call them? Axe throwing it's parlors? Really, it's I don't very know. entertaining. I have no idea yeah. what it's called. I'm simply just not cool enough in the Portland crowd to know. <laughs> but I mean, really, honestly, I it's it's a fun outdoor event. Like you get to get outside and watch people do like these weird feats of strength too. Because usually, you usually isn't just axe throwing. It's like log holding, throwing pole jousting, but it's with other weird objects, lifting huge heavy rocks. It's oh. like this whole combination of things a lot of times that sounds more portland because all the places like in detroit and new york that i've seen are indoor where it's like lanes like it almost looks like a bowling alley but they're like fenced and then there's like a target at the end and you are there with your friends and you kind of take turns like going it down there so it's indoor and it's usually like axe throwing and like the bar are the only real activities Mm -hmm. so it sounds like what you've experienced is more like outdoors even be more specific to portland and almost like festivaly too yeah not always but fun i I secretly love a good medieval type festival so this lumberjack festival atmosphere (laughs) also sounds quite fun all right man we're all a bunch of lumberjacks i know right i'm gonna add it to my list of things to do (laughs) portland bucket list all right uh moving on uh maddie um my millennial moment, it's kind of, it's kind of a two two parter and I don't have a campfire topic this week, so good thing that Shay came prepared and um but my my millennial moment's a little longer. So I went on my first business trip last week to Colorado. I stayed in Denver and I had my rental car and I went to Aurora and Boulder and was bopping around. Um and it was like very last minute because I was going to California for my birthday last weekend. And the day before I left, my boss was like, uh, we need you to go to Colorado. So I canceled the last leg of my flight back to New York and booked a new flight to Colorado. And I had to pack for like two different climates. It was very stressful. Um, but it ended up being fine. But um, on when I was at the airport, Shay and I were texting about Rachel Hollis's book, Girl, Wash Your Face. Oh, I wondered if you were going to bring this up I or am. not. Okay. Cassie. <laughs> I hope that's you okay. You're a Rachel Hollis fan, right? I am. It's yes. so good. Yeah. yeah. As so am I. Yeah. I, for context, um, Shay has kind of, we've like talked about her kind of like Shay's mentioned it a couple times and she posted on her uh, book Instagram about reading the book and then I saw an article about it and I was like why does this look so familiar and I was not familiar with her work at all had never seen it never heard of her and like she's a big deal now that I am familiar I'm I was like wow say, are I was you living li- under a rock uh, apparently <laughs> but it's also like one of not to get on too much of a tangent but like I wonder I think she's more popular outside of the northeast 
too. Like I know she lived on the West Coast and she's popular like in the Midwest and the South. So I wonder if it's just like, although I was talking to my coworker about her and she knew who she was. So I don't know. Maybe I was just living under a rock, but I know she's definitely more popular. Um, Like her book has sold the most in the Midwest and the South. So maybe that's why. But anyways, um, I had seen an article, which I don't really want to go into because it was kind of like a boring nothing article, but I sent it to Shay and I was like, wow, I should really read this book. So I downloaded the ebook. I read it on the flight the whole way through and kind of the brief things that I had like known about her. I was like, eh, I don't really know if this book is going to be for me. Like I'm not a mom. I'm not religious, really like all the th- kind of, you know, little sound bitey things you hear about her. I was like, eh, this doesn't really apply to me, but like I've heard this book is good and I really liked it. I really did. There was very few things that I was like, like there was some stuff that I was like, again, like I don't have kids. So like some of that stuff, I was like, this isn't really applicable to me, at least in my current season, as she likes to say, which I like because I like the word season for talking about stages of life, which she does a lot. Um, So it wasn't that I didn't like those bits. It just wasn't applicable to my life. Um, But I just, I just really liked it. It was just like a nice refreshing breath of air. So now I'm like going through her Instagram and her blog and like I listen to an episode of her podcast and I'm on not like a deep internet black hole, but I'm kind of just like taking it all in. So that's been like my last week and a half. (laughs) I love it. Cassie, what are your thoughts? I, I like to hear your thoughts on Rachel Hollis and kind of where, direct Maddie as to where in her (laughs) <laughs> Obra, she should <laughs> look for uh, inspiration. Yeah, so I I love Rachel Hollis. I think she's fantastic. The interesting thing about her is I don't think she's saying anything new. Yeah. I think she's just saying yeah. it in a way that everybody needs to hear. And it makes me so happy because I am like a classic, direct, <laughs> no BS Enneagram 8, which oh means... God, I'm also an Enneagram 8. I'm between I a 3 and an and you want to know you what? Already you know, how do you know? still figuring you it know? out? You, you, because I talked to you for 10 seconds. <laughs> Kindred spirits. I'm not even kidding. I love it. For those who are listening, Maddie and I have never talked before. No. That's why I was like, <laughs> how did you know? I know. By the way, you're so like, by the way, you hold yourself. It's yeah. a really, it's fascinating. And the thing is like other, other types can kind of figure out who are eights if they know the description of an eight, but eights really know other eights. We are like not messing around. Um, it took me a while to figure it out, but all of that to say, I think she, um, I think she has this great way of saying it in such a no BS, um, stop, stop feeling sorry for yourself because guess what? I've had some of the worst things ever happen to me and I'm standing so you can stand too. And so it's like tough love mixed with a, a really high level of relatability that I think everybody kind of needs in their personal development journey. So I, I love her work. I think it's great. My favorite way to consume her work is through her audiobooks. I mean, the the one I love the most is Girl, Wash Your Face. I can't wait for her her new one, Girl, Stop Apologizing. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited I for am, that because I think one Aren't of the... you the person who tells all of your friends to stop apologizing for things and learn um, how to say no? Yes, I'm very confrontational and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know why people aren't afraid to go up to other people and just be like, stop that. Shay and I have talked about this on this podcast. Mm-hmm. That yeah. at work, I'm like, I don't understand why people get bulldozed into like doing things like doing more work or like working on vacation when they're just afraid of like, or they're like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. And then they apologize for something bad that happened to them. And I'm like, I don't understand. But I think I'm most excited about Rachel Hollis's second book because 
the thing that I disliked most about the first book was that it was too short, not because I was enjoying it so much that I was like, oh, I'm sad for it to end, but because I thought some of the things that I didn't like so much about her book, I feel like if she had flushed out the idea a little bit more and maybe if the chapters were like five to ten pages longer and she was like, this is what I said, this is why I think it, and just like explained herself a little bit more and you do get that more in her podcast and like other stuff that I've read, yeah. I'm like, okay, I, this was a little jarring in the book, but now that I have this more well-rounded picture, I understand where you're coming from. And so mm-hmm. I think, girl, stop apologizing. The second book, not only will it be more practical from what she said, it's going to be like more real steps that you can take to do these things and not just so like high level, but I think it'll also deepen the concepts that she brought up in Girl, Wash Your Face. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to also, it. I really enjoy her Rise Together podcast too with her husband. Oh, yes. Her um, story was very interesting. Rela- uh huh. And from a relationship perspective, I think it's really fun to just hear the banter between husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And it's really refreshing to see a man who is willing to support his wife so fully in her career. And not only like that, but carve out his own career and space in what they're doing. And I've always kind of secretly wanted that with my husband and not necessarily a podcast and not necessarily, you know, the books and everything, but I would like him to be really involved in my business moving forward. But to to like thinking of you, Shay, he's an Enneagram yeah. nine. So yeah. I have to make sure to not bulldoze his dreams in order yeah. to <laughs> reach mine. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. I think that, um, man, the Enneagram is so awesome. Like the way it helps you. you know, my mom was texting Shay and people. I about the Enneagram today. Yeah. This like, well, it was like 7 a.m. my time and I yeah. woke up to like Mrs. Yergi emailing or texting me. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think that that is something that's really interesting about Rachel's book. Um, and what I love about the story, the kind of the, you know, for lack of a better term, the meet cute with her husband is that she prefaces it, prefaces it by saying like, this is not how it's going to go down for you people. Like, this is my story it's very unlikely that a guy is going to treat you like dirt for a year and then suddenly turn into be this great guy. Not that he treated her like dirt, but like it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't what good. she wanted. It wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, I, I don't know. I thought that, and that was the point in the book where I really like perked up my ears and really started listening to her. Cause I was also doing it via the audio book. Um, and it took me a while to kind of get into it. But once I heard that story, I was like, this woman has something to say and it's, you know, of such value, particularly for young women. I want like every woman I know who's like 20 to listen to that chapter. Yeah. So, and she's yeah. interesting too, because she's an older millennial. She's like 35 kind mm-hmm. of talking to younger millennials, which I think is really valuable because I think a lot of older millennials maybe feel like they're not far enough along on their personal development journey to feel like they have something of value to add or they're like, my life is so different from the youth of today that nothing I ever do is relatable. You know what I mean? So I kind of yeah. like that. Also, did anyone at first glance of that book, because apparently I'm living under a rock, I thought it was called Girl, Wash Your Face because it was a book of beauty tips when I first oh. saw the cover. <laughs> no. And that's why no, I didn't read like, it. Girl, <laughs> wash your damn face. I thought <laughs> she was going to tell me the story to my skin problems was going to be wash my face. And I was like, that's stupid. And then I didn't even look at the back of the book. It's, so not, it's actually it's through. actually moisturize your face. Yeah, yeah really exactly. Oh my god. Anyways, uh, so that's right. when. So Cassie, my millennial moment. Oh, okay, no, great, yes, Cassie. Uh, time for your millennial moment. Have you come prepared? I have. So Excellent. I have a, a new one for me. Um, I was offered a job through Instagram, mm-hmm. and this was not yeah. like a. This was not a um 
come be an influencer and represent our brand, blah, blah, blah. It was legitimately come work for us. We're a company out of Portland. We love everything that you have to say about goal setting and nutrition and blah, blah, blah. And we want someone in house. And I was like, thank you for the offer, but no, I have my own thing going, but But it was was so bizarre. And I remember, I remember handing my, like the, the DM, I had the DM up on my phone, handing it to my husband and being like, look at this. And he goes, Oh my God, we are millennials. And, and Cassie, I was like, yep, this if, is official. If you don't mind us asking, because we usually do this up top, how old are you or what year were you born? And where were you born? I was, yeah, I was born in 1986 in Portland. And so I'm going to be 33 cool. this month. Awesome. Happy birthday. So I'm toward the older end of that millennial spectrum for sure. Yeah. And I I think the really interesting piece is I look at someone like Rachel Hollis, just going back to that. And what she's accomplished by 35. And I'm like, holy crap. That is some serious like yeah, chops that you have to accomplish that sort of thing. Issues. She even mm-hmm. says it. She's a recovering Yeah, we know. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm recovering. I think I just am. <laughs> You're just in it. Yeah. But I've experienced maybe a little bit more hardship in business. Like maybe not more in life. I will not say that. Um, but more in business. So it's been an interesting interesting journey but she's definitely a person who I'm like how are you a millennial what's happening right now but I think you're right that speaks to why she is so like I don't know approachable for mm-hmm. for the younger millennials so anyways yeah so I got an offer a job through Instagram that's how thing. did you reply to your job offer I just said thank you so much <laughs> I would be like happy to um, talk about the possibility of doing contract work and coming in and doing a talk for your staff or Mm -hmm. doing some personal development workshops. I do workshops and, you know, kind of referenced and gave them like my packages and what I offer. Um, I told them I have really limited availability and I was like, I'm not interested in an in-house position. I can work from my own house. (laughs) I love that. Love that. Awesome. Well, I think you had the truest millennial moment of all of us today. It was bizarre. Yeah. Super bizarre. (laughs) Oh my God. Love it. All right, so moving on to our toasty campfire. Yeah, Shay, do you uh, want to kick so us off? Said, yeah, I don't really have sure, anything I'll, good. <laughs> okay, I'll kick us off. I really um, I had many to choose from. So I found this article on the New York Times, and I just thought it was super interesting. Um, so as our listeners know, as Cassie, you're probably learning, I'm a very big reader. I love books. I'm really interested in writers and kind of the industry of writing. So this article was talking about um, a YA author named Amelie, and I'm going to totally butcher her name, uh, Win Zhao, Z-H-A-O, um, decided to pull her debut novel and now she got a half a million dollar advance for this uh, novel and its two companions from Delacorte Press. So that's a pretty big deal in the publishing world. You generally don't see advances like that anymore. Um, and she decided to pull the book because after she had put it out for, you know, kind of uh, pre-release uh, reviews, et cetera, et cetera, she got all of this immediate internet lashback that the book was racist. Um, and Delacorte Press, they supported her choice, but they didn't urge her to do it. Um, and basically, there is a, there's a plot line in the book that deals with slavery, and pretty much the African-American community came back and said, like, it isn't appropriate for someone who's not African-American to talk about slavery. So, or at least that's kind of how I interpreted it in the article. Um, but... I thought it was really interesting because her comment on it uh, 
was, well, first of all, the reason that it got some of the attention and some of the negative reviews was that they said she used racial stereotypes because she included a tawny-skinned minority of a Russian-esque princess, a disowned and dishonored Asian-esque assassin, an Islander, Caribbean-esque child warrior, and a Middle Eastern-esque uh, soldier. Are those uh, all, and just used... to pause for a second, are those the way that yeah. she described the characters in the book, or is that how the writer that of the article was... is describing it? That was from uh, Ms. Zhao's description of the novel on her website. Yeah. Um, So they objected to the fact that she used uh, slavery as a plot device. And because she used slavery as a plot device, that made it inherently anti-Black. And then her, basically, her response was, you know, she apologized. She pulled it. And she said she intended to write the novel from her immediate cultural perspective and to address the epidemic of indentured and human trafficking prevalent in many industries across Asia, including my own home country. The narrative and history of slavery in the United States is not something I can, would, or intended to write. But I recognize that I'm not writing in merely my own cultural context, and I am so sorry for the pain this has caused. So I bring this up because, first of all, this is something that Maddie and I have talked a lot about because we try to be, you know, aware of our own inherent privileges as white women. Uh, but also it, this kind of brings the, the article circled around and linked to another article about this trend of sensitivity readers in publishing, particularly for children. Um, and basically this is happening across the board and they're having before books go, you know, to publication, they're being read by somebody who then gives feedback to the author and is like, you have to change this, you have to change that, you have to change the other thing, or else this book can be perceived as racist, homophobic, etc. Um, so I just really had a problem with this. Again, not that there is such a thing as sensitivity readers, and I think it's really wonderful when an author decides to hire or engage someone to make sure that their language and their descriptions are appropriate and accurate. And it talked about um, a quite a long list of authors who have done this. But I also think, you know, this kind of going back and censoring because it's an Asian woman writing about someone with dark skin in a fantasy world, like, I don't think that's okay. And I think that is censorship. So Um, again, and this is something that's new. It's something that I think pre-millennial times we haven't really experienced. So I wanted to bring it up for your opinions. Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one, I guess. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Cassie also looks like she has an opinion too. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of opinions. I I don't think I ever don't have an opinion. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what that's like. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you, Shay. I have a big problem with it. I think the the sensitivity reader thing, I'm I'm all for. Like, Corey was in the military, and the military actually pays people to go to movie sets and to read books and to go to publishing houses and stuff for military fiction and military science fiction to make sure that the mil, you know, you don't want to sound like an idiot, right? If you're like, oh, this tank would have done such and such thing, and anyone in the military would be reading that, and you're automatically seen as you have no military experience whatsoever, and your book is automatically discredited. So that, to me, is kind of akin to the sensitivity reader thing, where it's like, throughout the editing and the writing process, you want to get feedback, and you want 
to world build in the most realistic way possible. And you're not going to be able to do that with your own limited set of experiences. So there are things like this and entire industries built upon that. So that I think is fine. Like, I think if you have a book, you should have anyone and everyone of different backgrounds reading it before it comes out just to get feedback and to see like where your blind spots are and stuff like that. I had read about this woman before you had brought it up briefly. I had seen it like socially, you know, circulating around on social media and stuff. And I think it would have been just so much better had she released the book. Just let it be out there. And if you have a problem with it, either write your own book or write an article about it or start a discussion. Like what sort of better world are we living in if people don't even know that it exists i mean obviously none of us have read this book so we don't know maybe it was really heinous who who knows but to me i'm like on one hand it's better to start the dialogue and to just let the work stand on its own and if you have an opinion against it you have the right to publish that opinion and to write the book that you want to see in the world and if there's some issue with that you can have competing pieces of media that i think that is a richer human experience than her pulling the book um and the other piece of it too is like okay maybe if we're looking forward but it's like what about you know it always goes back to like what about huckleberry finn that was written by a white guy with many black characters one of my favorite books in school really taught me a lot actually about the african-american experience is it the best book ever written about slavery no it has a lot of problems but it taught me to think critically about literature and about how white people write black characters and the pros and cons to that and stuff like that and so it's like and that you know that's the stereotypical example because it has been censored in a lot of schools and stuff but to me it's not it's not so different of an example so a whole another issue that comes with the the current censorship of historical works particularly of fiction where like for example laura ingalls wilder which was an amazing voice for the american woman in a time where the american woman didn't have a voice people aren't teaching her because they say she doesn't depict native americans appropriately it's like well no shit she was writing about native americans in 1865 yeah it's just like where's the line i don't know i'm all about like trying to be inclusive and give everyone a voice but it's like you can't give someone a voice by taking away someone else's voice and i i understand that this author like she did it on her own volition no one was making her do it but something about the pressure of society and the culture that she was in and social media and the internet made her feel compelled to do this as an author mm-hmm. and that to me is a little frightening like the self the self-censorship aspect of it frightens me a little bit so that's kind of my opinion yeah. what about you cassie how do you feel about the whole ordeal I mean, I really just reiterate everything you guys have said. I'm just like, <laughs> praise hands over here. I, I I, often feel, I mean, I, again, I understand the level of white privilege that I experience as a white woman living in the United States. It's ridiculous. Mm. But all of that to say, I think there's a level of sensitivity that frustrates the hell out of me in all sorts of issues that kind of come into this category and particularly in censorship for sure. And I think, I think to your point, Maddie, like it, it should be out there, take the criticism and then write another book or, you know, come at it. And, and if you don't like it, then make something better or rip it apart on your blog or whatever you want to do, but don't pull your book. Yeah. I think the censorship just scares me to be honest, because yeah. I really value direct 
and I don't mind confrontation, right? As, as eights, we're like, yeah, bring on the <laughs> confrontation. It's totally fine. And I'm actually, oddly, not a confrontational person for the most part. <laughs> it's my own perception, right? <laughs> but I appreciate what happens it needs to be there when, we, when we learn from it, right? And so there's got to be things that make us a little uncomfortable for us to be able to have a conversation about it. So that's exactly. really, I mean, my take. I love it. Spot on. All, all right, Cassie, do you have a – oh, what would you say? Oh, no, all grand. We're all Excellent. in agreement, yeah. All in agreement, yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, do you have a campfire topic for us today, Cassie? Yeah, so I've been okay. thinking a lot about – I got really excited that I got to come on a podcast about just like being a millennial and the spectrum Yay. of millennialhood and all of that because I think that a lot of times we – come from this place where we're uh, taught to believe that being a millennial is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're often talked about for all of our, our laziness and the entitlement that we have over our Mm. time. And I'm like, I'm like, sorry, are you jealous of my life? I would be too. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are you sad that you were for 40 years in a dry cultureless cubicle plinking away at a soulless job? I would be too. I'm not trying to be an ass about that. Oh, but I, all I, the, this is yeah. this is my job on the podcast. I'm the foil to everyone that's <laughs> nice to boomers. I'm just kidding. I but love boomers. One of, the, one of the things that I love about our generation is that we really are becoming this really beautiful activist generation. And we used to be called slacktivists, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> but what we've done is kind of turned social media into this grassroots movement to allow us to redefine how we move things into civic engagement and change. And I think we're a really skeptical generation because of the recession and really skeptical of big business and big government. And so we're like running the opposite way to really support movements and businesses and political change that really resonates with us. And we're voting with our time and our dollars while we do it, whether it's on social media or in our personal lives. And I think it's really cool because millennials are really no longer kind of limited to like the traditional forms of of civic engagement of trying to move something forward and get it changed. And we have this opportunity to share like our political views, our social views and be more diverse in that approach. And what it means is we have way more opportunities to share our opinions like geography is not dividing us because we all exist on social media Um, And I think we can really purposefully leverage all of these awesome online resources that we have. And I think it's hilarious. I think being, being a 33 year old, I think about the fact that like I, our generation toward the end of this millennial generation, we're going to be like the last ones where technology was not a thing when we Mm -hmm. were kids, but it is now. And it's a huge part of our lives. And we were young enough to be able to embrace it because it came about in like those developmental years for us in like this really stepwise fashion. But we all know the giant cell phones that existed yeah. when the first cell phone came out or the the huge computers and everything. And we've watched it change, but we've also like watched it become this like interconnected part of our culture. Um, but anyways, I think that we've been just able to leverage online resources to really inform the choices that we make offline And I love that part of being a millennial. I think it's awesome. We have this ability to vote with our dollar, um, to share about what we're doing in our Instagram stories and on our Mm -hmm. blog. And 
we also have this ability to do the research to see what kind of like environmental impact products and companies have and how we want to support that. And I think it's like this new way to express more of who you are on social media to represent more of that, like social political environmental value. And, um, this is honestly like, of course, what I want to talk about, because this is why I work with beauty counter. This is the core of what I do. I was going to say, let's slide into the interview portion and get you talking about (laughs) beauty counter. Cause I'm so, I mean, I've, heard you talk about it and some other ladies talk about it before, but, uh, for Maddie's benefit and for our listeners, um, I'd love to just get your overview of the company and why it's important to you and kind of what their mission is. Yeah. So, I mean, before we even get into the company stuff, the real real is that there's literally next to no regulation in the personal care product industry next to none. So there is no governing body that can even pull a product from a shelf at all. We Which is very different from like food and food and drug. Very different. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago that that was the case, but the FDA is the governing organization that would have an umbrella over personal care products. And they literally do not have the jurisdiction to pull a product from a shelf. If it contains a harmful ingredient, if it contains a bacteria strain, whatever it is. And so through that, what we've seen is this huge shift in our culture where we've had so many toxic ingredients included. Hang on just a second, you guys. My dog is like, hey, that's all good. No worries. We generally, I was actually just thinking I'm surprised my dog has not run in here. Do you still have the squishy bulldog? Yes, we do until tonight. So I want to see him. (laughs) Well, next time you come, we'll have him come visit. So so cute. Okay. Okay. Oh, all right. Where did I leave off? So, so there's just basically any crap no. can end up on the counter and then on your face and there's nothing yeah. the government is really doing. Yeah. So, th- so since the FDA has no wherewithal to be able to pull a product, what's happened is over the last 80 years or so, we've had about 80,000 chemicals introduced into commerce and about 10% of those chemicals are used in personal care products commonly. So about 10,000 total less than 10% of them have been tested for safety on human health, but all of them can be used and they do not have to freaking tell you. It's so not okay. So the last time we had a major federal law passed that said what could go in our deodorant or toothpaste or moisturizer or beauty products, our kids products, kids was 1938. Oh my God. That's crazy. You know, so if I thought you were going to say like 1975 and I still oh, no. would have been Mm-mm. shocked, oh, no. but like 1935 is crazy. And you know, it's funny. I was talking to a former guest of the pod, Brianne, the other day because I'm buying some beauty counter mascara from her <laughs> and she knows the other stuff that oh, we talked about it at an event, the other stuff that I use. And she was like, oh, by the way, it's going to be weird for you to get used to because it doesn't have tar in it. And I was like, fuck. Like tar on my eyeballs for 20 years. Like that's crazy. But the the part of that that infuriates me is that you were not allowed to make an informed choice that entire time. And that's not okay. It's not okay. And so this is why I love this like social media activist generation that we've got going because we can do something about it. We can use our voice to change things. And so basically, I mean, the, the state of the industry is that we, we ban 30 ingredients from our personal care products in the United States. 
Um, just two years ago, that number was 11, but we had an addendum to that 1938 law because of the work that Beauty Counter has done. In the and in Canada, we banned 600 ingredients, and then in the EU, we banned 1,400 ingredients from personal care products. So we are woefully underregulated and incredibly behind. And what's happened is, you know, essentially post World War II, we've had this huge influx of chemicals that we use for whatever freaking reason, because it's a byproduct of something and they need something to do with it. So they're going to put it in your freaking mascara. I, it, it makes me angry. And that's honestly, I, I tend to act when I get upset and that yeah. was, that was it. And so I actually found beauty counter in my kind of non-toxic holistic journey when my husband and I were started to try to have a, a baby and I, I have this huge mindset toward, okay, if I'm going to like house a human, I should probably make my body the healthiest it can be to get there. And of course my background is holistic nutrition. So I'm like doing all of those things. And I get to this point where I'm like, oh, I should probably think about like my moisturizer and like, cause that gets absorbed into your skin and absorbed in like it affects the fetus. It's a crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was just kind of sobered by what I found when I looked up a few of the ingredients that I saw in my moisturizer, my face wash. And you know what? These products said natural, botanical, plant-based, organic, but it doesn't mean anything because the industry is completely unregulated. So basically I was like, okay, well what's happening now? And then my, my mentor and beauty counter, Liz Wolf, is uh, has her own podcast, The Balance Bites Podcast. It's an amazing nutrition lifestyle podcast. You guys should check it out. Um, she started talking about Beauty Counter and her podcast, and I had you know taken lots of advice from Liz over the years. She's a fellow nutritional therapist, and basically she had come to this place where she's like, I've landed on this brand for sunscreen for my baby because she had just had a kid as well, and I trust her, and she makes tons of resources for mamas trying to figure out what to eat and what to feed their kids and what's healthy and what we should look out for. And she started talking about the sunscreen and it really didn't all click for me until my son was about six months. And then I was on the search for sunscreen for him because he's like this adorable little redhead that is white as can be. And I remembered back to that episode I had listened to and I was like, okay, I'm going to go check out this company. I'm going to buy the sunscreen, bought it, loved it. And then just slowly started kind of switching out my products to some of theirs, really not knowing how bad everything was that I was using still. And so the thing that upset me the most in that process was trying to figure out why as a holistic nutritionist, as someone who's in this crunchy community of people who know all things about health and wellness and lifestyle stuff. Why do we not know about the lack of regulation in the personal care industry? Why isn't this common knowledge among people who are like educated in this field? So Mm -hmm. if we don't know, no one else knows, how would you like? So I think that was the most frustrating part is I had worked really hard to switch everything out over the years for things that said natural, hundred percent natural, hundred percent organic, plant-based, botanical, organic, all those things. And, and what ended up happening was none of those things were safe. (laughs) And I, I will never forget looking up, uh, one of the baby washes that one of my friends had gotten me. And I was very skeptical of, we didn't really use soap with my son when he was little. We just kind of rinsed him off and we did soap every once in a while when he was like covered in breast milk and whatever. (laughs) Um, Babies are gross. 
Babies are adorable. Gross, yeah. but gross. And I was just using like the Dr. Bronner's, you know, Castile soap, which I love still. It's such a multifunctional product. And, but I was looking at a baby wash that one of my friends had gotten me that she was like, oh, this is from like a natural line from, from Target. I thought you might like it. Pulled it out and looked it up on the environmental working group app, which I'll talk about in a second. And it rated an eight. Oh, wow. Out of, on a scale, on a scale, scale yeah. of one to 10. Wow. And being the worst, a baby product. Yeah. And I was, I literally got so livid in that moment. And then I started digging a little bit deeper and got an email from Liz that was like, Hey, do you want to check out, you know, more about becoming a partner with beauty counter? And I was like, what, what? I didn't even know beauty counter was a direct sales business, a direct retail company at all. And I had never entertained the idea of doing direct retail. Can you explain maybe to what direct sales or direct retail is? So happy to. So it's really an industry that people automatically assume MLM pyramid scheme, et cetera. And if you've made those assumptions, dude, I am so with you. Um, but beauty counter really sets itself apart in that we are more of a direct retail brand. So we actually offer our products through multiple channels. So a lot of other store in Soho too. I was talking to my friends about it. Girl, I want you to go to it (laughs) and report back. I will. It's on, on we'll go in April. Yeah. It looks really nice. Yeah. It's on Prince street. It's beautiful. And I was talking to, I mentioned beauty counter. I was like out to drinks with friends and someone had like gotten a sample from them or something and like a gift bag. And they were like, Oh yeah, they have a store in Soho. So it's definitely getting the word around New York. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really awesome. I'm so glad that we've had the opportunity to have some of those pop-ups. So so basically, Beauty Counter, we kind of set ourselves apart in that we take kind of all the best parts of direct sales, which it just means that you know you shop with a consultant. Like there, there's a network of independent consultants that represent the company that's selling a product. That's really what direct sales is. And a lot of companies are get a bad rap for a good reason because – you have monthly minimums that you have to pay in order to remain a consultant or even get paid. Or you have to buy epic amounts of inventory and keep that inventory in your house and hopefully you sell it and who knows. And so Beauty Counter has kind of taken the best pieces of that business model and left all the BS, which I extremely appreciate because um, our core mission is to focus on are the idea of just creating change in this industry. And that's really what we're committed to. So the consultants who work with beauty counter, we are just one arm of that a retail option. And so you can actually shop on the website without a consultant, which makes me so happy because for people who aren't comfortable with direct sales, they can have direct access to the products that way. And they don't have to work with a consultant if they don't want to. Um, and just, you can kind of dip your toe and no one's going to email you and be like, how are you liking your products or whatever? <laughs> which I try to keep like, I, I take care of my, my people, but I'm definitely, I'm not one who's going to bug you for sure. I just don't appreciate that on my end. Um, and then we also do retail partnerships. So we've partnered with J crew and target in the past. And that's really how I got pretty acquainted with beauty counter was in the fall of 2016 and the summer, early fall, we were in target and I'm, I go to target like, hi, millennial <laughs> go to target. And I, the cool part was when they did the partnership in Target, a lot of their full size products are are definitely like a premium price. And so when they did the partnership with Target, they did smaller containers. And so it was still as expensive per unit, but the buy-in was less expensive. So you got to experience some of those things at a, a lower price point. And we've since made those sizes available to people on the site, which I think is fabulous. 
Um, but it got the message out there and beauty counter works really hard when they do have these retail pop-ups to allow the, the consumer to come back to the consultant to help them walk through what's the best skincare for you and what are great makeup options and how can I help you save money and all sorts of things that the consultants offer. Um, but we have all of these other direct partnerships and then we also are in goop. So if you go on the mm-hmm. goop website, you can buy beauty counter products and we partner with them. We've been featured in lots of um, Allure Best in Beauty, Goop Awards, all sorts of things, Cosmo Awards. And so we're starting to represent ourselves in just the conventional conventional beauty space and compete. And it's really, really beautiful to watch because we're kind of the underdog, which I love. I love the idea of an underdog. It makes me so happy. So Yay. anyways, the basics is that Beauty Counter, as a company, we embrace the great parts of direct sales, which involves really allowing our story to be told person to person. And that's why Beauty Counter is a direct sales company. Because if we put our products in Sephora and uh, you came up to the clerk and you had, you know, maybe a face mask from Beauty Counter, a charcoal face mask, and you had a charcoal face mask from another company and you said, hey, what's the difference? They'd be like, oh, this one's a better seller. Great, done. And, you know, you wouldn't walk away with a Beauty Counter product and you wouldn't know why you might want to choose that. And here's why you might want to choose that. Yeah, <laughs> we. Well- yeah, yeah, we we rigorously screen our ingredients for safety. So Beauty Counter has what we call a never list. So we take that European list of 1,400 ingredients that they ban, and we take it to the next level, and it's 1,500. And we also ban fragrance, which is not banned mm, in the European Union. And fragrance itself can house up to 4,000 ingredients. So that's the key wow. one. If you if you were to ask me, like, what's my first step in my non-toxic journey to switching out my personal care products, go look at everything you have in your house that has fragrance and try to switch that out first. And I can give you guys a list of actual things to look at. Um, you know, things that cover your body that get absorbed tend to be the, the worst offenders that you want to try to swap out. But all of that to say, Beauty Counter kind of takes it a step further with that 1500. And so what we do is we take all of our products and we formulate them with thought and make sure that every ingredient we use has been tested. Safety data exists and has been tested on human health and has been proven to be safe. And we technically take that and we take it a step further and we do safety testing. So not only are we starting out with the right ingredients, because you in this industry, you can't just start out with the right ingredients. You have to make sure that when you mix a product with mm-hmm. all of those ingredients, nothing is introduced. You mm-hmm. have to make sure at the packaging that nothing has been introduced, yeah. right? And then we also test at the source too. So if we're using rose petals for our rose water mist, we're going to go to the farm and do third-party testing on that soil, the rose petals, everything. And we have caught things in the supply chain in like mm-hmm. the craziest of ways. We used to source our rose petals from this farm that um, was packaging the rose petals in plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And the bags were sitting in the sun for like not even like 10 minutes. And there were phthalates present in these oh, rose petals. And when you take a rose petal and you make a hydrosol out of it, it condenses the chemical matter of it. And so it was coming up huge high levels of phthalates. And we're like, what's going on? We went to the farm. We tested everything. It looks great. Well, we go do investigation at the farm and find out they're putting it in plastic bags. So Beauty Counter created a burlap bag exchange program and said, hey, if we provide these bags for you, will you take, you know, 
these and use them and, and we'll swap them out every time you do a delivery to our warehouse where we're, you know, producing the products. And so we take it. Oh, sorry. Go on. Oh, no, it's fine. I was just going to say, we take it, we take it to the next level. (laughs) It's kind of obsessive. I love it. I love it. Well, and I think this is something that people um, don't realize when they're just looking at a luxury price tag on something and they look at it and they're like, I mean, that eye cream is like $48 and is it even going to work because it's supposed to be all natural or, you know, whatever. Yeah, that was going to be my big question too like oh it not, works girl to press <laughs> to I'm press you on this because yeah. so, i like deodorant i would love to get your opinion on deodorant because i've tried girl, all the all natural you. stuff because my mom had very very early stage breast cancer like stage zero but she was like all the all natural stuff is shitty and it doesn't work and you get sweaty yeah. and gross so i would love i feel like yeah, that's so something here's... that people probably wonder like do the products really work and what are your recommendations for some of those like harder to find yeah, I'm going to say, I feel you. I feel you on that. And the truth is when I switched to all natural products that weren't beauty counter in those early days of pregnancy. And then when my son was really young, I was switching out my own stuff too. Cause I'm like, if it's touching me, it's touching you. Cause you're all up in my business, yeah. <laughs> breastfeeding <laughs> and all of the things. And so I, while I was switching my stuff out, I just became increasingly frustrated because none of my natural products work. My natural mascara was on my chin by the end of the day. And I was like, what the heck? This is the only thing I'm putting <laughs> on my face. Why is it coming off? Uh, eyeliner would transfer to my bottom lids. Like blush would be on my ear, but I didn't even know everything moved, everything moved. And of course, skincare is part of that and prep and everything. But I'm like, I, I don't have time to finesse all of these natural products to get them to work. And my deodorant doesn't work. And it gives me little red bumps under my arms. And I still stink. <laughs> was, and the deodorant was, the deodorant is so individualized, just to talk about that for a second. Everyone's body pH is so different and some people are just extremely sensitive to baking soda. And so what you find is when you switch to a natural deodorant that more often than not, you have like this reaction of sensitivity where you get a red rash with like raised bumps under your arms because you're sensitive to baking soda and baking soda is a benign ingredient. It's totally fine. It's healthy, Mm -hmm. whatever. But if you're sensitive, you're sensitive. And this is like under your arm is one of the most sensitive areas of your body. (laughs) And so that's what I found. Every single natural deodorant I tried would just give me a rash. And the one, the one that I found (laughs) is called Primally Pure. You can find it at primallypure.com. They sell on the internet only, but they have um, all sorts of different options. They have a, a charcoal deodorant that works really well for me that I love and I can do pretty much any of their variations on scent. They scent with essential oils, except for the geranium. I can't do that one. That gives me irritation. But they use a very low amount of baking soda, and they use some zinc in place of it. And zinc naturally, like, chelates sweat from the body and will kind of hang on to it, which is one, another reason why I love zinc-based sunscreens, because they will help with sweat while you're, while you're in the sun, too. Um, but it helps with smell, like it'll neutralize odor. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I love, love, love the Primally Pure because they balanced it, low amount of baking soda, and they added some zinc in there too. And so it's going to do the work. But I mean, the real real is no natural deodorant will keep you from smelling throughout like after a workout. Yeah, of course. But yeah. 
but, but for it's everyday okay. use, it's you fine. probably should be showering anyway. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everyday use, it's absolutely wonderful. And the thing is, I mean, like you talked about, you know, your mom and stage zero breast cancer, which by the way, my mom had stage uh, zero or one. They weren't quite sure somewhere in that spectrum breast cancer as well. Um, and she's now fully in remission, which I'm so grateful for, but that was a huge eye opener too. And I had found out that much to my dismay that she was still using a toxic deodorant during that whole period of time. And they have found, I mean, clinical research proven that there are high amounts of aluminum in breast cancer tissue. And so that is an aluminum is what you're trying to avoid when you switch to natural deodorant. So take a look at your deodorant, flip over the ingredient label. If it says aluminum, let's switch it out, switch it out for something else. And I, my personal favorite is the primally pure. A lot of people love Kopari native, um, and Schmidt's Naturals, which is based out of Portland and love, love, love their mission and their company. So that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. So I think we talked a little bit about this, but, but if someone has now listened to your story and they're like, oh my God, I have to start switching out immediately. <laughs> what's kind of, you know, one thing I've loved about, you know, meeting you, Cassie, and hearing you talk about both the safe beauty as well as nutrition is that you're like, you have to do it in your own kind of time and way. And you can't just go through your house and throw everything out and then replace it with these products. Like you've got to kind of make choices and do it in a staged way. So I'd love to kind of get your feedback for our listeners about where to start, especially if you're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. So I would say start in your home and anything that is going to be touched by your children. If you have kids, um, And, and that's like the first thing. And the, the lack of regulation in the industry is one thing, but it, it spans over to children's products. And that is by far the most infuriating thing to me that my, I can't go to a grocery store, even like Whole Foods or out here in the Pacific Northwest, we have new seasons or natural grocers. I can't go to those natural grocery stores and even there pick something off a shelf that's for kids and know that it's safe. I have to go check the, like check how it's rated. And so essentially that would be my first step is to take a look at, okay, what are my kids using first and foremost? Um, And then what are they coming into contact with in my home? And we actually, so Genevieve and I have two episodes of the podcast that um, address this on non-toxic living. So I'll give you guys the links to that and you can add that to the show notes. But basically, uh, we went through our whole list. And first step is to just, okay, baby wash, lotion. If you're using an oil, be, please throw away the baby powder. Please, 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 please. <laughs> uh, they don't need it. They're just fine. <laughs> and and uh, anything that you use as like a balm for them, uh, diaper cream, that sort of thing. So kids products for sure. And then secondary is like things that contain fragrance in the home. So if you're using plugins in the wall, if you have like the trees in your car, anything that contains fragrance can really be transferred into their um, system pretty quickly and into yours as well. And so fragrance is just kind of one of those ingredients that's blanket that you can look at everything that you're using and look at it. Um, some of the most infuriating things about the process is realizing the fragrance doesn't need to be in most things that it's in, <laughs> like yeah. laundry detergent. Um, dryer sheets. Oh my goodness. Switch out your dryer sheets for wool, uh, wool dryer balls, please, 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 please. Um, and I love the wool dryer balls and the laundry detergent from Molly suds. They're an excellent company doing some really incredible work. Uh, and another company that I love to, to partner with and support. Um, and then dish soap, 
dish soap because mm. you're you're eating that it's that's going into your body for sure like you think you're rinsing you're not rinsing all that off it's no not way <laughs> even your dishwasher isn't doing that yeah. um and if you take your dishes out of the dishwasher you guys and they still smell like the soap you used that's a problem it should not smell it's like now. It shouldn't yeah. smell like anything. So anything that kind of sticks. And then as far as personal care and beauty goes, I would say your perfume has to go. <laughs> You're, no one's going to be happy about that. But just your like in general, yeah, like any period, perfume, is any bad. perfume. Yeah, it contains really high levels of phthalates and parabens, hormone disruptors, things that can really honestly screw up your body in the worst way. And you're probably putting it in again, in some of those really sensitive areas, a lot of people are putting it right on their decollete under their neck. And then if you're getting sun exposure after putting on perfume, that's a whole nother ball game to think about. Um, a lot of people put it like under their arms or near their breast tissue. Um, and it can be extremely harmful for your, it can basically what happens in, in fragrances, you have a high presence of what we call xenoestrogens, which can mimic estrogen in the body and then cause a change in the production of estrogen in the body. And so shift your hormone cascade completely. Yeah. And Cassie, can you kind of um, clarify, so what you mean when you say fragrance versus essential oil or something along those lines? Sure. Yeah. So when you're looking for, you're looking at products that are scented, what you want to look for is uh, to avoid fragrance or even natural fragrance. You want the company to list out specifically the ingredients that they use to scent the product. So if it's scented with essential oils, it can't just say scented with essential oils. It should say orange oil, lemon yeah. oil, whatever they're using for it. Okay. Um, often there will be on a, on a product, it'll say natural fragrance or scented naturally. And that word, it literally is totally unregulated. So they still can hide those 4,000 ingredients under that name. There's no uh, governing uh, as to like what natural means. So fragrance and natural fragrance literally mean the same thing. One is just greenwashing you even more, (laughs) which greenwashing is basically the term that we refer to when someone says something's natural and they're just like pulling the wool over your eyes like that. So Now, can you talk about the um, environmental working group and the other app thing? Did we talk about that yet? Yeah, not yet. So, I mean, I've referenced it, but yes, we need to go into that for sure. So number one tool for you guys walking away from listening to this podcast and this conversation, I think, is having the environmental working group skin deep database and the healthy living, uh, healthy home products uh, guide, healthy home cleaning. That's what it's called. Okay. So skin deep database and healthy home cleaning. Uh, but you can literally search any product in the database. And if it's not in the database, you can search it ingredient by ingredient. Truth be told, most of the great products out there that I would recommend that are natural are going to be in that database because they partner with the environmental working group because they're all about transparency. So that's kind of the huge thing. And so within the rating spectrum, the first rating that you want to go for if you can is EWG verified. And what that means is they work actively with the environmental working group to create full transparency in their relationship. They additionally do safety testing within their brand. 
And so all of Beauty Counter's products are EWG verified, or they rate a one or a two. And the ones that rate a two are because they have citrus oil in them. And some people have sensitivity to citrus. So that tends to be, and actually Beauty Counter is working with the EWG to try to get them to understand that a little bit more. They're like, no, you shouldn't put this as a two. So it's, it's a process. It's not perfect, but basically the Environmental Working Group is a nonprofit that is interested in bringing transparency and education to the public. And so they're one of our nonprofit partners that we work with. And within that spectrum, it goes all the way up to 10. So just for our own peace of mind in our family, we don't use anything in our home or on our bodies that's more than a three. So that's kind of our, our spectrum that we use. And so I, you know, recommend kind of first step is just taking some of the products that you use and seeing how they rate. I mean, first, first glance is just to look, does it say fragrance? And then, you know, you need to swap it out. Um, second glance is okay. Let's, let's look at it, um, either on the skin deep database on their website, which is how I prefer to look at it because you'll get links to, to studies that prove that, that that ingredient is harmful to your health. So the resources on the website are amazing. All of that to say they have an app called the Healthy Living app where you can test barcodes of home products, beauty and skincare products, personal care, um, and food as well. And, And so you can scan things and see how they rate within the Healthy Living app. And so you can go download that. It's totally free. All the resources are free within the EWG and it's a really great way to just start educating yourself around what's happening in the industry and what you need to look out for. And you're going to be scared. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to you're gonna look at those ratings and be like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And yeah. I, I want to caveat that with, please don't feel guilty. Do not feel guilty for coming to a place where you're like, oh my gosh, I've been putting something toxic on my babies or I've been putting something toxic on my own body and I'm trying really hard to work on my exercise and my nutrition and my self-care and all those good things. Um, but I'm, I'm doing myself a disservice here. The truth is you didn't know. Yeah. Most, of, most people don't know. It's something like 0.0004% of the world, let alone in the US, it's worse, knows that there are toxic ingredients in personal care products, period. People do not know about this issue at all. So that's why I do what I do. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Um, I feel like we could talk about this all night, but Maddie, do you have any final questions for Cassie before we move into the archery range? Yeah, I guess one final question, you had kind of touched upon it, like your journey to being now you, I know you said at the beginning, you're an executive director at Beauty Counter. But you started as, I'm guessing, just a regular consultant. Absolutely. (laughs) We we all start there. Yeah. So I'm interested kind of how you moved up the ladder, so to speak. And, you know, I'm sure you even touched upon it yourself, like the direct sales aspect of it. You know, I'm sure people still have questions about that. Like what, what enticed you not only to use the product, but to start being a consultant and absolutely what made you feel comfortable doing that and kind of how, um, I want to ask you at the end as well, like if people want to, you know, buy the products, but you know, what made you kind of take that second step and be okay with it financially? I'm assuming, you know, you haven't been adversely impacted from being a direct sales representative for this company and certainly not (laughs) so I'm just interested in kind of that aspect (laughs) like we've been talking so much about you know it's great and this has definitely been eye-opening for me certainly but going back to that and kind of the more practical aspects for people that are wondering about that 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that question. I don't get to talk about the business side very much, except organically with my buddies here and there. But it's uh, I, honestly the thing that that really attracted me to Beauty Counter, aside from this like massive, beautiful marriage between safety and performance, which is really what we're about. And we kind of um, nodded toward earlier, just talking about how we, you know, we land on products that don't work, and it's so frustrating. Is that every product that I switched up to beauty counter, namely first thing I switched was sunscreen and then mascara, which is like the worst one that's really difficult to find a good replacement for. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I think our mascara could still get better, but it's the best I found that's natural and tested. And so when I switched to that, I was like, okay, we've got this great marriage of safety and performance. Um, but I wasn't interested in the business at all uh, because I don't, I was severely put off by direct sales period by multi-level marketing. And the only experience I had ever had with people in that field were these really like cold and awkward, clearly scripted reach outs from people (laughs) through my Facebook messenger. And I got a lot of them because I worked in holistic nutrition. So people invited me to check out essential oil companies and CBD brands and all sorts of things. And I always just, I mean, like I'd never thought about it for a second. The answer was always like, oh, no, thank you. And please don't ask me again. Yeah. <laughs> like That's me and my directness. And so how I learned more about Beauty Counter was I was actually feeling as an entrepreneur super stuck in this place where I continually had to see one-on-one nutrition clients because that's how my business started. Um, and I couldn't get past that in order to really work on some passion projects for me, which were creating resources, eventually writing a book, opening a restaurant, um, you know, having, I have really big dreams and I'm going to need some capital to get there. And I needed time too. So I was kind of at an impasse where I realized, okay, I need to either sell a product or create a product and I'm not going to do anything that I cannot get behind with full authenticity, integrity. I'm not about that. And so what ended up happening was my friend Liz reached out, um, just through email and I'm just on her email list. So, and she was basically like, Hey, we're going to have this webinar to learn more about the business opportunity with beauty counter. And truth be told, I didn't, I had been shopping with beauty counter for six months and I just thought it was an affiliate link that I was using for my buddy Liz. And I just always made sure to go back to her link because I know how affiliate links work and the cookie dies. Right. And you got to go back and, and use their link to support them. And I know how hard it is to earn an income with a a blog and a business. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, anytime I need something, I'm going to go check with all my friends to make sure to see if somebody has an affiliate link and then I'm going to help them earn some income. So I had had a few affiliate accounts and she kind of bridged the topic that way that was like, Hey, let's think about this as affiliate income. And I was like, Hmm, okay, I'll take a look. (laughs) But I didn't, I didn't know beauty counters direct sales. And I, I love that story to this day that I had no idea because my shopping experience online never felt that way. And my Mm -hmm. experience with having a consultant, I was just on her email list and she shared helpful tips and information and reminded me when I had like a product credit that was expiring or something like that. It was wonderful. And I had had nothing but a good experience. And then I realized there were a few people that I really respected in the nutrition community who would not jump into something like this lightly that were, were saying yes to this. And I was like, okay, I will take a look. So I, I hopped on this webinar and 
essentially through the webinar, I learned all about our advocacy work and I had no idea what they were doing as a company. And just to give you guys a brief overview, and I probably should have said this in the very beginning, but I'm an imperfect person. So here we are. <laughs> um, our, our main legs of our business are obviously finding solution through product, but keys are education and advocacy. So we work actively in our home states as consultants and then as a company in Washington, D.C., and then as consultants, we rally in D.C. to get more health protective laws passed. So I'm like attending this webinar and they're telling me <laughs> about how soon oxybenzone is going to be banned in Hawaii. And that's because of work that Beauty Counter has done in Hawaii. And oxybenzone is a chemical sunscreen that's been damaging our coral reefs for years. And you think about, okay, this oxybenzone chemical is, is killing a giant living organism in diluted salt water. What is it doing to your body when you put it on? <laughs> Right. And so that was a huge eye opener for me. And I had known about that issue and was actively using natural sunscreen or whatever I thought was natural <laughs> at that point um, and had switched over to beauty counter relatively recently. But I, I came to this place where I, once you know about the state of this industry and what's really in your products, you cannot unknow. And as someone who has touted myself as an educator in the holistic nutrition space, I can't not tell people about this. I was literally, I, I have to tell people about this. This is huge. And of course, I'm not going to be someone who just talks about Beauty Counter. This isn't about Beauty Counter at all. This is about being an informed consumer and knowing what your options are. And guess what? Beauty Counter is a option among many um, and more and more. And we hope that more and more come into the field. And so kind of just seeing how inclusive beauty counter was of other companies who are doing the right thing mm. too. And guess what? We're partnering together. So we've partnered with a, a coalition called the counteract coalition that brings together companies who want to see change in this industry and who support the passing of the personal care product safety act, which is what the federal bill that we have going right now that should pass in the spring. Um, and we're very excited for that. And it's something that we have worked very hard in getting, are like representatives just state by state. I mean, I've attended meetings with our state representative and we've changed their minds wow. by coming to them as consultants. It's amazing. So what all, all of that to say, what I did was in that call, I learned about our advocacy work and how mission-based we were. And I was just like, well, I guess I now I have to get involved. <laughs> um, and then it was this discovery process. So the first six months, I just treated it like an affiliate link and shared it with my my readers, my friends on social media, my, my nutrition clients. And the reception was incredible. And they people were switching out stuff and they loved it. And I wasn't even doing any like education <laughs> and advocacy. I was just like, hey, here's this cool company I found. They're doing great things. It's awesome. Here's how you can support my work. And uh, people started buying with me. And then I had friends in the nutrition community who were like, you can really do this. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not really interested in building a team because the team building aspect of direct sales is what scares the living crap out of me. Or yeah, it did. Is there yeah. like a financial component to building it or how does that work? Yeah, 100 percent, because you are working your butt off to support them. So basically within Beauty Counter, obviously you earn off of your own sales, but you're not required to build a team. There is no caveat. You do not have to build an organization of consultants. But my thought process is why wouldn't I? Because if I got that angry about this issue and had to like teach and educate people about it, 
why wouldn't other people want to do that in their space and from their place of influence? And so when I first started building a team, it made me very uncomfortable. Um, but I'm an eight, so I'm a natural leader (laughs) and people were signing my team without me talking to them. Um, and so what ended up happening was it grew really organically because I was coming from this place where I was like, Hey guys, here's this thing. You could do it, take it or leave it. There's no pressure. Let me know if you want to learn more. And what people were saying was, yes, I would like to learn more right now. Um, and we just had this huge resonance in our nutrition community of people being seriously burned out. And right. That's another millennial thing, right? Serious. Now you guys talked about that on your episode with Brienne, Mm -hmm. you know, we're coming from this place where we're working day and night. We've got our full-time job. We've got our side hustle, our side hustle. We hope to become our full-time job. And then when that happens, we want to start a nonprofit and there's like all these different things that we want to do. And we're all freaking exhausted. And this business has allowed me the flexibility and time freedom that I never thought possible. And we get to have, I feel like I'm making a difference and you know what? I know I am. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So that's the piece of it. As far as the team building stuff goes, where I'm like, it's a no brainer. Why wouldn't I offer this business to someone? Because if someone hadn't offered it to me and I had just been sitting on this brand for two years and then figured it out, I would have been a little upset. Yeah. (laughs) And so that that was just it. You have the moment where you're like, well, what if no one had asked me? Right. And so you ask, and if people say, no, you say, cool, do you boo? And you move on. Right. So it's, and then as far as like the, the payment structure goes, so beauty counter is not structured like a lot of other direct sales companies you do earn from your team, but it is, it is a small amount compared to what you earn from your personal sales. And it just, it creates a, a feedback loop where you're encouraged to support your team, right? You get compensated for when they hit milestones and when they do fantastic in the business, you earn on all of their sales, a small percentage, um, but it doesn't affect what they earn. So everybody has the same potential to earn and everybody has the same potential to grow. Um, and there is no moving of uh, lots of other direct sales companies. You can move around customers mm. and you can move around consultants too. Once you sign up with your mentor, that is your mentor. Mm -hmm. That is your person. Like you're not going anywhere. No one's, no one's gaming the system to create like this, this ghost person on your team in order to build up a leg of the business. And that's what you see happen in a lot of multi-level marketing. They encourage you to sign up your spouse, your mom, your brother, so that you can build up like basically a fake leader on your team in order to move your business forward. And beauty counter is like, hell no. In fact, and it's in our (laughs) code of, of ethics that we are not allowed to do that. Yeah. You can't have someone in the same household be another consultant. And wow. I think that just speaks to the fact that we are unwilling to grow this in an inorganic way. We are going to do this via grassroots movement of people who really want to be interested and change things. And so all, all of that to say, I could talk about this literally <laughs> all day. <laughs> well, clearly we're fascinated. We're like, yeah, I, I appreciate you guys listening. I think it's a yeah. tough topic to talk about. It's a tough topic yeah. to broach people. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk about the lack of regulation in the industry and um, the fact that we need to do something about it. But it's quite another to be like, hey, shop with me. I'm a direct sales consultant. And then also I'm building a team. If you're interested in joining, come join me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's a difficult thing to to really bring about. OK, how do we operate this this business that can feel very salesy or very inauthentic and come from a real organic, authentic place and say, Hey, what I'm interested in doing is making sure everybody knows about this issue and we need more people. We need more people to tell people about the issue. So 
jump on the business. It sounds great, but it's scary. It's a scary. It was super scary for me to start out. Yeah. If I'm being really honest, I was terrified. Yeah. You <laughs> no even said it yourself, doing. like, and Shay and I have talked about this on podcast past about how multi-level marketing and direct sales is kind of a millennial phenomenon. And there's a certain like subset of women that do it and are, they're the ones that do like the pushy scripted Facebook yep. things that you talked mm-hmm. about. And so it tur- it's it's unfortunate that they've kind of co-opted this term and it's almost I wish there was a separate term yeah. and maybe that will come in the yeah. future for well, and what it is I that mean, you're trying really, to do. Because like yeah, my company it's really why we call it direct retail. Right. That's yeah. like like my company, I work for a meal kit company and we have a direct sales function and it's still like under the corporate umbrella, but there's sales representatives that like go out into the field and they're like responsible and they're paid off commission to like get people to sign up for the meal kits they don't have the team building aspect which i think that's where people are like oh well if you're incentivized to like create a team that's when you get into this like fake like you sign up your spouse type business that people are used to Uh, uh, um or they either have that image or they have the stuffy image of like mary Kay and avon where you have the lady driving the pink cadillac and i'm sure those products are awful for (laughs) you after this whole conversation yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not your classic uh, beauty consultant. Yeah. I, on any given day, you will find me in Instagram stories <laughs> with no makeup on. Yeah. My hair is not done. I'm wearing a beanie. I'm mostly like my my level of put together is not what do you expect from someone who's selling skincare and makeup. But I, frankly, I really don't care about the skincare and the makeup. I care yeah. that you know to be an informed consumer, and that's why I jump in. But yes, it's like it, all of those things make you so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think. I think the thing to note is that this is a really genius business model. It Mm -hmm. really is. It is a way to like seriously amplify a mission and a movement to get people to change their lives. Like you can take, you can take your level of exposure to like parabens and phthalates from astronomical levels down to nearly zero in just matter days by just removing those products from your regimen, from yeah. your, your personal care. And I think that's really powerful because those things can have a huge impact on your health. And like, I, I have to share that information. I have to do that. So I think on, to be really honest, if this company was just a great solution with great products and there was no mission or advocacy work, I would just be a really, really good customer to somebody. Yeah a really good customer, (laughs) but I would not, I wouldn't be involved because I am unwilling to sacrifice my integrity and like put my business at risk because I'm representing my personal brand. When I do this, I'm bringing beauty counter into my personal brand, which is holistic nutrition, lifestyle stuff, all of it. And it's a really interesting thing to be a part of this world, but also not. And Mm -hmm. I've had so many people from other direct sales companies approach me and say things like, oh, I want to do an event together. Will you come to this vendor event or have a table at our thing? And most of the time, depending on on the company, I'm like, well, do you have a social mission? If you don't have a social mission, I'm not really interested. Um, Because Beauty Counter sets themselves apart so much in that way. But you're so right. It's so hard to define. Um, And we actually have a really great video. I'll share the link with you guys so you can share it as well. Um, That was literally released yesterday that explains our business model that I think is really cool. But 
the truth is in corporate America, there is no difference in sales structure. People yeah. are salespeople who have teams of salespeople and they earn a commission on the commissions mm -hmm. of their team. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like that's how sales work in the corporate yeah. world. This is no different. It yeah. just gets a bad rap because it's a lot of people who are having to kind of figure it out on their own. And some people just don't do it in a way that is yeah. authentic. And that's yeah. a bummer. It's a bummer. Well, so, I appreciate anyways. you taking the time to explain that because it's definitely something Absolutely. that I yeah. was not super educated on, both the natural beauty products and also the direct sales, direct retail aspect as well. So I yeah, personally appreciate your candor. Oh, my. Yeah. Anytime you guys. Yeah. And if you want to hear more of the candor, you can follow me on Instagram. Yeah, stories. definitely. Well, That's excellent. Shall yeah, we jump into that? If you don't have any more questions, Shay, should we jump into the Good. rapid fire questions? So we it. are going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Okay, uh, I'm answer nervous. With what it's, don't be nervous. Answer <laughs> with whatever comes to your mind first. Uh, if we say favorite, it doesn't have to be your absolute favorite. It can be like yeah, a top Yeah, I totally 10. understand. That's yeah. like favorite right now. <laughs> exactly. So here we go. Favorite book. Oh, this is too hard. This what I knew you guys were going to ask me this because you ask everybody this, and I'm I'm literally like it's fine. You know One what? time Shay and I did this to each other after doing this for like a year, and we were both oh, we stumped. Do it. Yeah, we were the worst. <laughs> and I like I'm going to make you guys let me marinate on this for That's a hot fine. minute or a recommendation okay. or maybe some like the last book you read that really resonated with you is always nice. Mm -hmm. So the last book I read that really resonated with me was the road back to you. And mm -hmm. this is probably yes. not a surprise from Shay. So this is an yes. Enneagram, Enneagram primer. Um, I am all about personal development. Like you would not believe. And this primer not only tells you, helps you figure out like what your Enneagram type is. And you can learn that from a quiz, but the quiz is not going to actually tell you your type. You need to go through and look at all of the statements or listen to the statements and see what resonates with you the most. Cause when you figure out what your type is, Maddie, I don't know if you experienced this, but when I like heard an eight red, I was like, I, that scares me and I'm an asshole. I'm pretty sure I just figured out. That I'm an asshole. Well, <laughs> he, I've been trying to get Maddie to read the road back to you for like six weeks now. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure my mom just ordered it for my brother. So I'm sure I'll get it eventually. It's okay, an incredible go. book. But it's the so thing good. I love about that book is not only does it say, okay, here's your type, but it addresses the, the conversation of now what? Right. Because yeah. now I, I have to, I, now I know what's wrong with me. So I need to go figure out how to fix it. <laughs> and so yes. that's, yeah, definitely the most recent read I had that, um, was the most in, like, honestly, life-changing for me. Agreed. Love it. Love it. Favorite TV show. Oh, this is also really hard. You guys, um, I will say probably number one that's like binge worthy that I always come back to is definitely Gilmore Girls. And number two would be uh, The Office. Yeah, Love it. Uh, favorite childhood snack? Childhood snack? Oh, my gosh. Anything that was salty and crunchy. Oh, mm. let's be real millennials right now. Funyuns. Funyuns. Yes. That was Love my it. favorite childhood snack for sure. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a Funyun. Oh, my God. You're missing out. I know. Well, but, my mom was like into tofu before it was cool. Do Funyuns so. have toxic chemicals or can I still eat them? I, no, I definitely toxic chemicals. <laughs> oh, God. They are. It's toxic. garbage food. I'm the worst. This is going to be maybe. <laughs> We're going to have to come back and talk about nutrition no, at some point. Yes, we should I do a cross. To touch on that today. I'm sure I'm going to listen to your podcast, but we should do like a cross pot event where it's 
Maddie throws her whole apartment away because all I do is eat Cheetos do and it. drink Coke. Oh yeah, my gosh, it's gonna Only be a real. It. I want to see you vlog. Oh it. my god, I literally. <laughs> I'll just, this is not about me, but I'll tell you this story because it just shows you how far away I am from the personal development you that you have done. You used to eat vegetables when I forced you to. Oh, my God. Disaster. So I went to California, and I didn't have a Coke for three days, and I literally thought I was dying. It wasn't caffeine-related because I was having coffee, and it wasn't because I was dehydrated because I had so much water, and I literally felt like I was dying until I had Good a half a Coke. But I, I was having pie and stuff. I don't know what was wrong with me. I really don't know. I just had a Coke and I instantly felt better. And I was like, this is how it ends for me. So that that's my <laughs> well, New Year's resolution. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of addictive qualities within a Coke that has nothing to do with yeah. caffeine and sugar um, that involve like the experience. You're yes. addicted to the experience. I of am. A Coke. I need to right? replace it thing. with just pure water, which sounds very sad <laughs> and depressing, but that's what I need. <laughs> I My big replacement for soda, because I, girl, let me just tell you, Dr. Pepper and so good. Coke, the mm. jam, both of them. So I st- and still to this day, I'm not gonna lie to you and be like, those taste disgusting. <laughs> I've just I've just evolved so much, and you know, I just I, I don't even have a taste for no. They're still delicious, <laughs> but I don't drink Love them it. because I know the health ramifications yeah, of okay. them, and I have a lot of type two diabetes in my family, so soda is not a thing. Yeah. Um. That being said, I switch to like sparkling water and I just make sure I get like a yummy flavored sparkling water. That's I love Spindrift because they use oh, like real babe. well, they use real fruit to flavor their water. And it's not again on a food label, natural flavors, mm-hmm. which, by the way, <laughs> is also not regulated. Yeah. yeah, it's the same as the fragrance, I'm sure. Well, th- this is good. I'm I'm going to I'll I'll follow. We'll, we'll follow back on fun. this. Yeah, I'll I see you, girl. My I see last... you. My last Cheeto, which I know those are really, really Your bad, even Cheeto. worse. Oh my god! Well, don't be too hard on yourself because it's this—it's the same thing. I think you know. There's a lot of foods out there. Slowly, that you can, yeah, you gotta slowly. Yeah, you transition. gotta slowly switch out. It's got to be manageable for you, and it has to be your choice. It can't be someone telling you. Yeah, from no. any Enneagram eight to Enneagram eight, this has to be your choice. No, it definitely is my choice because I was having lunch with my coworker, telling her about my Coke addiction, and I was like, "This is this has become a problem that I can't go on vacation yeah, and not a have thing. a Coke." Yeah. yeah, I'm like, so, this could be anything. But So one of the in- interesting eight things I have to add this is that <laughs> when you have, when you feel like something is limiting you, which is the, is the experience that you had when you were in California and you were cokeless and you needed to have one, um, like that's that, that kind of thing is what irritates me most as an eight because mm-hmm. I don't want anything to hold me back. Nothing. Nothing to take away my power. And that Coke is taking away your power, girl. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. This is a very deep discussion that started with Funyuns. I love it. I know. Listen, um, this is amazing. how I live. Okay. Back to the rapid <laughs> fire. Favorite oh, yeah. movie? Oh, uh, Pretty Woman. Oh, love yes. it. Uh, favorite movie? And I watched beauty? it at way too young. Oh. That's all right. I feel like we all did. Yeah. Uh, favorite beauty counter product? Oh, the overnight resurfacing peel. It literally, it's a, it's a chemical exfoliant that has 15 mixed fruit acids, glycolic acid and lactic acid. So it like breaks down the crusty, disgusting skin on the outside of your skin. Um, but doesn't actually make your skin peel. It's all microscopic. And then it literally reveals skin that looks probably about 10 years younger than you are. So my skin's starting to look like a baby's butt. And it was Love not it. looking anywhere near that before. So I've been using it since May of last year when we released it. And it's gorgeous. Love it. 
sold me. Well, I think that's a um, good place to end unless you yeah. have any more questions, Shay. No, I think that's it. Um, Cassie, can you list for us all the places where we can find you on the interwebs and beyond? Yeah. So and where people uh, can buy beauty counter products from you. And we will list all yes. this in the show notes. Great. Thank you. So um, podcast to podcast, if you guys love podcasts, you're listening to this one. So <laughs> Rebel Heart Radio. Um, I talk about, we talk about lifestyle, personal development, toxic relationships, skincare, beauty, makeup, nutrition, all the things um, on the podcast. And that is one of my favorite places to be. And then on Instagram at literally Cassie Canable. <laughs> so Perfect. you can find me there. And then um, that's that's pretty much where I live. I mean, and then if you want to shop Beauty Counter with me, I really honestly shoot me an email at beautycounter at the northwestkitchen.com, which the northwestkitchen.com is my blog. You can find me there too. But shoot me an email and let me help you. Don't just go to the link. And you can if you want to. That's totally fine. But let me help you save you some money, find what you actually need versus what you think you need <laughs> and go from there. Most people don't know what kind of skincare they need. It's a really, it's an interesting thing to navigate for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's just beautycounter.com slash Cassie Knable. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Yay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cassie. Uh, listeners, we will see you next week. Happy camping. I don't know where that came from. Love it. <laughs> I'm really trying to take the camping theme home. I know we need getting problematic. I know. Right, bye guys. Bye. Hi campers. Shay here. I was so inspired by Cassie's story that after we recorded, I decided to partner with beauty counter as a consultant. If you follow me on Instagram at Shay Keats, S H E A K E A T S. I'll share about beauty counter from time to time, as well as occasionally chat about my personal journey and transition from traditional to clean products in all areas of my home and personal care. However, please note all links related to beauty counter in the show notes and on social media for this episode are Cassie's. Join us next week for a special Maddie and Shay friendship podcast, where we'll chat more about our personal relationships with direct sales companies discuss listener feedback on our episode with Jackson the Teen, and as always, visit the practice tent. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to fill out our listener survey for an opportunity to win cool swag. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hey campers. Maddie here, here to tell you about the new listener survey that just launched. There's also a prize component, which I'll go through at the end of this plug. Shay and I launched the listener survey for a variety of reasons, one of which is that we want to give you guys the opportunity to provide anonymous feedback on the show so that we can make it that much better and so that you come back week after week. We are also exploring new monetization opportunities, like potentially approaching advertisers, and we want to know, you know, who's listening? What types of people? What are you interested in? Things like this. So we are collecting just basic demographic information, you know, to make the podcast better and to have a sense of who we're talking to every week. 
You can find the survey all over our social media. It's all over those links and bios. We've been posting about it. You can also DM us or send us an email, hello at campadulthood.com, and we'll send you the link right to your inbox. Super easy. You don't even have to search for it. It's also in a link in the show notes to this episode, so you can open that up on whatever platform you're listening to this on right now. And again, it's super easy, two to three minutes. We really appreciate it. It's a great free way to support the podcast and again, to give us the opportunity to provide you the content that you really crave and to take your feedback into account. As a thank you for participating, we are having a raffle. Very exciting. Like I said, the uh, survey is completely anonymous. So if you want to remain anonymous, totally fine. We love the feedback just the same. But if you do want to be uh, put in for the raffle, which the prize is a free t-shirt, very exciting, Camp Adulthood swags, there's an opportunity to put your email in at the end of the survey. We are only collecting this email so that we can contact you in the event that you win the raffle. We are not going to send you emails or spam you or sell your email or anything crazy. Um, again, it's just a thank you and just an incentive to take the survey, which we really appreciate. We are getting new merch soon, so look out for that. Um, And the swag as the prize will be a t-shirt, the new t-shirt, new and improved, new logo and everything. So even if you have our old merch, you definitely want to give yourself the opportunity to potentially win this new t-shirt as well. So again, thank you guys. Um, It really means a lot to Shay and I that you keep coming back listening week after week. It really means the world. And we appreciate you guys taking the survey. Thanks, campers.